It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April seventeenth, two thousand fourteen. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you this week. Glad to have you back. Thanks. And uh, we're glad that you're here as well. We'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com and join in the chat room with other listeners on the program tonight. We'll look forward to hearing from you. Jack is behind the controls tonight. Jack, thank you for coming. Welcome. Thank you for asking. And, and Jack, Jack but we, should, we should mention Jack's one of our elders here at College View, and we should thank the elders for their unwavering support of the virtual Bible study for almost nine years now. That's right. And so, Jack, thank you for for being here, being a part of the program. And uh, we need to have you tell us a little bit about the Facebook page that uh, you have set up and are maintaining. Well, it's it's up to uh, close to... uh, Eight or nine hundred likes right now. I have to check it, but it's uh, it's making some progress. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, in, uh, interest recently. Now tell tell everybody what what do you got to do to get to the Facebook page? Uh, if you go, if you're in once you're in Facebook, if you just go up in the search area and should just be able to type in virtual Bible study, you should be able to pick it up, and there you could go to that page and then like it. Preferably, and then to share it with your don't, friends. Don't don't like. Well, it. there's a lot of people just go to the page and look at it. You know, which is, and you get the information. But an added benefit to us is if you select the like button, and then the third top thing you could do is share it then with your friends. It would be even better. All yeah. right. And that gets, that just keeps spreading it just sort of exponentially. So thanks for doing that, Jack. And, uh, uh, I don't do Facebook, so that's all kind of foreign language right. to me. But, uh, those of you who do, uh, help us spread the word about the virtual Bible study. All right. And, uh, we'll look forward to that. And, and Jack, can, can they submit any comments there on that page? Uh, they can. They can make. They can make comments. Leave comments. Okay. You know, and so right. that would be good. Or even like a. And so, if they were, if someone wanted to put a question in there, you could forward that to us, and we could get it in our stack of stuff. That is. That is correct. All right. Okay. Good. All right. All right. Jack. So that's just another way you can give us some feedback. And thanks for using the Jack Cam tonight, Jack. I see you're using that. That's I good. used it once, and that's probably all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Keep it coming. Uh, and uh, well, Kevin Kelly's in the chat room tonight. And he's listening in his car, isn't that? Now that is technology, right? There you go. We have man. come, we have come full circle. Yeah. You know, we started this, and we thought, well, anybody listen to stuff on the internet? And, and you now, almost, you almost had to have a landline connection to to have exactly an internet right. connection right. in those days. Yeah. You couldn't. You know, it was people still using dial-up, and so yeah. we were trying to be conscious of that. And now you can listen in your car. That's very good. Thank you, Kevin, for listening. Kevin, glad you're out there. All right. Who needs the radio anymore? That's right. Tell them how they can get to us, Jacob. TheVirtualBibleStudy.com. And, I mean, feedback for... Oh, yeah. Questions at CollegeU.com. The, uh, and then send your emails there, uh, 877-381-4567, and the chat room tonight. And it's right. easy to sign in. You don't even need any personal information. As Guest 185 can attest to, a Guest 185 is signed in anonymously. 
And so we don't know who okay. you are, and, but, but we, you know who you are, hopefully. And uh, just so we're looking on. for feedback. So email, telephone, chat room, you can get to us. Uh, what we're going to do tonight is something that we do uh, with some frequency, but it's been a little while since we've done listener questions. Yeah. We, you know, we, we constantly, Jacob, are telling our listeners, send us questions. We'd be glad to hear any questions you have. We'll, we'll try to cover them when we can. Uh, and so, therefore, it requires us to follow through. If they're mm-hmm. going to send us the questions, then we got to deal with them. Yeah. And sometimes somebody, sometimes people will send us a subject that might justify a whole hour's program. But very often, what we do is what we're going to do tonight. We take several of them and combine them together. They're not necessarily related at all, other than they are Bible-based questions. And so, then we'll talk about several. We got six tonight. Uh, well, really, five diff- from five different people, six total six questions. Six questions. Uh, and and we still got some in our stack, and we'll keep adding to the stack. You send us questions, we'll put them in the stack, and uh, uh, sooner or later we'll we'll hopefully get to your questions. Questions at com. Use that email address anytime you may be listening to this. A majority of our listeners are listening to this in the podcast archive version, and so we, we welcome your comments at any time. And you only it could be you could want to comment about something that we're talking about when you're listening to the recording. Don't worry that the program's not live. You can send your comments anytime. Questions at collegeview.com. And All guess right. 185 has blown his cover. That's Steve Roy. He hey, forgot. Steve. He Great. didn't enter his, his personal information there. Great so. to see you out there in the chat room, Steve. Yeah, thanks for joining. All right. So let's start out with the first question. I'm not going to read them all. We'll just read them as we get to them, Jacob. The mm-hmm. first one we sent out earlier today to our update list. Get on our update list mailing. Uh, if you're not already, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and put add me to the list. Mm-hmm. Remember, College View spelled funny. C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E on the end, collegeview.com. And uh, our first question comes from England. From England. J- from Jonathan. Oh, good to hear from Jonathan. Jonathan is actually, I had to look this up some time back because we were corresponding quite a bit. Uh, Jonathan is on the Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight. It's not white. It's white. White? W-I-G-H-T. Isle of Wight. Uh, hmm. And that's just on the just straight south on this uh, off of the southern coast of the main English island is this Isle of Wight, and that's mm-hmm. where st- this is where Jonathan is All right. from. All right, Jonathan. And so here's the question that he sent us. He said, "One topic that I'm slightly unsure about is that of fate and destiny. I've heard many people say after something has not happened, it wasn't meant to be. Is this really true? Was it not meant to be? Or on the flip too?" When people say it was obviously meant to be, you know, if something happens, it was yes. meant to be. Okay. He says, I'm not sure how to answer people who ask me about fate and destiny. Okay. I would be greatly grateful if you could shed some light on this topic. And so we'll, we'll see what we can do. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate that question. And I do hear that a lot. You hear that quite yeah. often. And yeah. Hey. Well, I, I tell you, a, a variation on that that I'm hearing more and more is, Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. that sort of has become a catchphrase that a lot of people are using. Yeah. You know, something happens. Well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I ran my car into a tree. Well, everything yeah. happens for a and reason. And it is a comforting thought. I mean, I, you know, I didn't get that job. Well, it Every, wasn't everything, meant to be. everything. God didn't want me to have that yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Or, uh, you know, or, or I, I, you know, some, a, a good friend of mine passed away. Well, that's what God wanted. Yeah. Uh, so I actually wrote a little article about this a few weeks ago in right. our yes. in our bulletin, yeah. and I had a few points that I made right. about that. The first point I made is some things happen. Yes, some things happen for a reason because God has established natural laws that are are always in place and can't be violated. Mm-hmm. For instance, if I step off of a roof and fall and break my leg, 
that happened for a reason. <laughs> and the reason was God established the natural law of gravity, right. and, and I can't violate it. And, okay. and you know, th- th- that may be uh, an oversimplified thing, but, you know, um, if I go out and act immorally and suffer the consequences of right. my immoral actions, right. well, uh, things happen for a reason. Right. You know, and, and so I have to be aware that there's, there's consequence to actions, and sometimes my conduct can will will produce a reaction, good or bad, mm-hmm. and and I have to be aware of that. Okay, All so right. that that's, that's one thing. Okay, uh, but I I really think we have to oppose the idea that God has sort of predestined everything in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know that some people I think have the idea that we are just sort of like a clock. God wound us up and set us there, and we're now just going through the pre-programmed mechanisms. Of God's design, nothing that nothing is going to change from the way it's already been set up. Yeah, and I I really wonder if this expression, like Jonathan mentioned, it was meant to be, or it wasn't meant to be, or as we're hearing frequently, everything happens for a reason. I'm wondering if that's not uh, uh, sort of a uh, a suggestion of everything is predestined in our lives, and that's. And the Bible certainly teaches that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, you, we often reference the familiar statement of Joshua in Joshua 24, verse 15, when he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, that idea of choice yeah. suggests that it's not all predestined, not right. pre-programmed, right. and everything is not just set in stone. We're just following the course that's already been established for us by God. Yeah, he would have to say something like, God chose what you do this day. Yeah. Uh, remember, but as for me in my house, he chose that we'd serve the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I, again, I, I'm I'm pretty much against the idea that it's all predestination. Uh, the Bible certainly doesn't suggest that. We could we could cite numerous examples of scriptures. You know, in Revelation 22:17, the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely." If you will, whosoever will, yeah. let him take of the water of life freely. It's we have a free will. We have the capacity to choose things. Now, when we choose things, choices have consequences, and they can be good consequences or they can be bad. But we need to understand that the choices that God empowers us to make can bring good things to us or evil things. And in that sense, it happens for a reason. It happens because we chose to either do good or bad. All right. Stephen references one that uh, a passage that will have to come into the mix here. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says many Christians use this to discuss how God did not want them to date a certain person or whatever. He's, uh, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are call, uh, the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. That mean that God's got his hand? In everything? I really think the context there of Romans chapter 8 is talking about the things that are spiritually in place. Mm-hmm. All spiritual things that God has established are are functioning for our good. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a, just a – that you just can't paint with a broad brush that I broke my leg. Well, that works for good, you know, because I love the Lord. No, that's not talking about all spiritual con- – not, not talking about all physical things that may happen in life. I really think the context of Roman eight is saying, and I think Steve's right that that's a that's a verse that many would use for that. But I really believe that's talking about the the things that God has spiritually put in place to benefit us. Yeah, he's gone on and followed up. This verse is talking more in regard to spiritual, specifically if we do not know how to pray for what we ought. Yeah, uh, thank you for that, Steve. Uh, 
And uh, I'm, you've got to, uh, are you going to bring Mordecai into the into the mix here? Go ahead. Mordecai, when he was talking to to Esther about uh, the scenario that she found herself in, he wasn't so presumptuous to say, God has done this or God doesn't want this to happen. He said, who knows whether or not, you know, that God has put her in a position like this. Yeah. Uh, for w- w- this. When he was challenging her to go before Esther the king four, and speak. Esther 4, verse 14, yeah. To speak before. Speak on behalf of the Jews. He said, "Who knows?" And his and, and which was a wise statement on his part. Who knows whether you were put into this place for such a time as this? Right. He could he he couldn't say that def, definitively. No. He was just suggesting it might be, and that you need to use the opportunity that's confronting you. Yeah, I you know, I, I cringe when people are, are bold in there. You know, well, well, God didn't want this, or, or yeah. God God didn't want this for me. How, well, how some, do you know? You know, sometimes there's not a one to one correlation to every event in our life. Bad things happen to good people. Right. On the other, and the other side of that coin is sometimes good things happen to evil people. And so you can't always say that there's a one-to-one connection. I mean, here's Jesus Christ, the, the, the only sinlessly perfect person who ever lived, and look at the bad things that happened to him. Right. right. So you can't always say, you know, that, and that was not, you know, uh, you know, that was the the consequence of what evil men did, you know. Yeah. So... I, I just don't think we I, – I, I'm just opposed to the idea that everything is scripted in our lives. Jack, any thought on that? Uh, no, no. You, you guys covered it pretty well. I, I agree that not everything is scripted, so yeah. we, don't, we don't have that I, I think we to know that. Kind that's of right. Thing. That's right. And, and so s- since that's the case, I think we need to be careful about those expressions that are, are popularly used. It was, wasn't meant to be or it was meant to be or uh, it, everything happens for a reason or any yeah. of those kind of expressions. I think – they have the capacity to convey a an unscriptural notion, and if we're not careful, it uh, what it does is it it sort of shoehorns God into what our mortal minds can comprehend, and and it, it sort of it makes it, it it limits Him to the things that we can understand and the things that make sense to us and the things that we think would be the best. Um, uh, Chris in Atlanta says God has told us what His plan, what is His plan for our lives to spread the gospel, Mark sixteen fifteen through twenty six, to love God, Matthew twenty two thirty six and thirty seven, which in turn is evidenced by keeping His commandments, First John five verse three. Other than that, I do not believe God has planned out every second of our lives. We have free will, and therefore we will reap what we sow. If we sow good habits and actions, we will reap good results. Conversely, if we sow bad habits and actions, we will reap the consequences. Additionally, since evil is in this world. Bad things will happen to us because of sin and evil. We need to set our sights on things above and realize we are only here for a short time. In the end, it matters little what happens here as long as we have obeyed the gospel. All right. And from another listener in England, from Chris, our frequent listener in England, he says, first off, fatalism, the stance that our lives are beforehand set in stone, is not set in stone, or God repenting. Uh, of the destruction of Nineveh in the book of Jonah based on the con- contrition of the Ninevites would not have happened. If what we do has no effect, then that raises the questions of why pray, why preach, if people will or will not believe is already determined. There is destiny, and that is the consequence of our actions, whether for good or for ill. All right. Thank so you, I think Chris. we're all on the same page with that answer. All right. And I'm on, uh, I don't know if we can get on the same page about this, but we should take a break. Okay. When we get back. Someone says, can a church determine who gets to be a member of it? Wow. That'll bring up some discussion. What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. We'll get them on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. Do you remember when churches taught the truth in a straightforward and direct way with no sugarcoating? 
Can you recall when homosexuality was plainly condemned and unscriptural divorce and remarriage was not tolerated? Can you think back to a time when you heard hard sermons on moral issues like dancing, immodest dress, and filthy movies? Do you long for a return to the kind of teaching and preaching that you heard 30 or 40 years ago? The College View Church is trying hard to maintain the same moral principles that have been associated with God's people throughout the ages. They want to hold the line against the drifting that is characterized in so many churches today. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Mistakes are always forgivable if one has the courage to admit them. Faced with what is right, to leave it undone shows a lack of courage. Weakness of attitude becomes weakness of character. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight taking your questions that have been submitted to questions at collegeview.com. Send them anytime. We love to hear from you and we'd like to have programs like this. They're interesting. They're, uh, well, they're ADD friendly and that works good for me. Yeah. Uh, well, just, just, a, just a follow up to the, to the previous question. We're ready to move to the second one, but John in Oklahoma says, I agree with what you all are saying. Another phrase that is often used in the same context is God's will. For instance, a man does not get a job for which he applied, and he says, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. Or two people marry, and someone says it was God's will for them to be together. And I think that's right, and that's using that expression in that same way that we've been sort of panning. Now, the expression itself that you know we should submit to the will of God and make our plans based upon the will of God uh, is, you know, my grandmother always used to say, we, we would say, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And she'd say, if it's God's will, you know, yeah. and, and that's, that's scriptural in yeah. James chapter four, verse 13, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there in a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanish away. For what you ought to say is, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Yeah. And so that's different than saying than trying to say we identify God's will as this or that. Yeah. This is just saying we understand that everything is contingent upon the will of God. God has the prerogative to interrupt yeah. our plans, is the yeah. way I yeah. perceive that. Otherwise, you know, what if we're going to go? We're going to go to tomorrow. We're going to go to uh, we're going to go to the bank and we're going to rob it if it's the Lord's will. And tomorrow we do that. We do go to the bank and rob it. Was that the Lord's will? No, obviously not. No, but, but he has a prerogative. He could have interrupted uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. our plans. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Let's go quickly to the second question. The second question is this from listener David. He says, could a congregation biblically justify setting parameters by which membership is determined? For example, someone decides one Sunday to worship with a particular congregation After a few weeks, the elders of the church speak to this person. It is determined that they have already obeyed the gospel as God has commanded. The person expresses their intentions to worship with that congregation for the foreseeable future. When should that person be considered a member? Immediately? Should there be specific parameters set other than obedience to the gospel? Should the elders meet to to decide to let this person claim membership? Well, what about that? Sounds sort of exclusive to me, though. What do you think, Jack? Well, the you know when we're talking about uh, placing membership here, I, I thought of uh, immediately Acts chapter two, when uh, the people were added to the Lord's church. That's a, that's a to me there indicating the Lord's church universally. Right. But when when if we're talking about a local congregation, uh, people have to express the desire, you know, 
to yeah. want to place membership. I mean, we yeah. can't make the assumption if they came here or have to be baptized, maybe they were en route to home or going someplace else and that someone made the decision to do this. But, I think you're right. I think you know, that, 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 and maybe that distinction is not brought out enough in the question. I think maybe right. it confused some of those who responded because we're not saying, so, in other words, it, we're not in control of who's in the universal church. Exactly. Acts 247, the Lord added to the church daily, such should be saved. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, as soon as we have, uh, accurately obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, the Lord adds us to the universal church. That is the, the one body of all saved believers in the yep. world. Yep. Uh, and uh, Acts 2.47 would be a verse that we would use for that. Uh, I noticed here uh, Chris in Atlanta says membership is determined by God. He adds to the church, Acts 2.47. Well, that's true. And then he goes on to say, we are all a member of one church. The elders can and should set some guidelines on those that wish to identify with a prospective congregation. Now, that's the distinction we're talking about here. Correct. What about, you know, in other words, someone comes to this congregation. It says, I'd like to be identified as a member here. Do we, can we, do we just have to say, okay, you said so, therefore it is so, or can we exercise some discretion? Chris goes on. They should question the person to ensure that they obeyed the gospel as the Bible teaches and that they are living faithfully. There's no way to know for sure, and the elders really have to take the person's word for it unless there are some obvious signs. It may even be prudent to address marriage, divorce, remarriage with a potential couple. Divorce is so prevalent, and sadly, even in the church, that there are those who do not have a correct understanding of what constitutes even a scriptural marriage. All right. I think you're right, Chris. All right. Uh, and uh, I th- not only sh- can we have uh, criteria, I think we must. In uh, in Acts chapter 9, when uh, Saul wants to come and join himself to the church at Jerusalem, in verse 26, he tried to join the, the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. They had some criteria there. And uh, they needed to know that Saul was a faithful Christian, that he was uh, that he was what he had claimed to be. And I'd also reference First Corinthians chapter five, verses six and seven, where there was a member in the church there who was not living as he should. And it says here, "Your glory is not good. Know you that not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven." So they were going to. They- withdraw themselves from that man. In other that words, God says you've got to he have. He was no longer going to be considered as a faithful member of that congregation. You've got to have some conditions. Right. Okay. I really like that one that you brought up in Acts 9. Kevin in the chat room has also mentioned Acts 9, 26. Uh, let me read that. That you, you mentioned that briefly. Let me read that segment one more time. When, Paul, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. In other words, he took the action. Immediately, when he was come to Jerusalem, he sought to identify with the disciples there in Jerusalem. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Their initial reaction was, you're not going to be a member of this congregation. We don't even believe you're a Christian. Bad chance. Yeah. So notice, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples, declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and going out at Jerusalem and spake boldly the name of the Lord Jesus. So Barnabas, in other words, the, 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 the Christians in Jerusalem said, you're not going to be a member here, but Barnabas stepped up and supplied the evidence that they needed to show that he was, in fact, a faithful Christian. And when they did, when he did that, they accepted him. So it's clear that they did have conditions to be met mm-hmm. before they would just throw open their arms of fellowship, uh, in this case. All right. And, and so I, I really think that Acts 9 passage, uh, does a great job of showing, yes, it is appropriate to ask questions. Yes, it is, in fact, even necessary to make sure that a person's a faithful Christian before you 
allow them into your local church fellowship. What's the reference? I'm not I'm having trouble citing it here. There was another reference where they were they they sent letters. Uh, oh, in Acts chapter 18. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, when when Apollos was leaving Ephesus to go toward Corinth, mm-hmm. uh, it says uh, when he was depo- disposed to pass to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when right. he was come helped them much, which had believed through grace. So some criteria there. So no, notice. The the Christians at Ephesus sent this letter to encourage the brethren in Achaia to receive Apollos, which would imply that they would have the decision to make whether to receive him or not. Right. So all of that, I think, suggests, yes, that that you you can and should even must make these determinations. Chris in uh, UK says, according to Acts 2.41, the 3,000 saved were added to their number, and that was immediate. With that, they did. Uh, with that, they did what was laid out in the in the remains of the chapter. Uh, they were able to worship there. By that, I'm assuming take part of the Lord's Supper. He uh, says, uh, if not, were they not a member of the church there? Since they were partaking the Lord's Supper, were they not a member of the church there? If they have devoted themselves to that assembly, then what is restricting them from being members? Now, parameters for being able to partake the Lord's Supper is another question. In other words, he's saying in in, in the case of Acts two. Those people were added to church, and they participated in the worship of the local church. They participated in observing the Lord's Supper with the local church. Uh, the only thing that would restrict a person, in answer to the question that he suggests, the only thing that would restrict a person from being a member of a local congregation is if they had, in fact, not properly obeyed the gospel and were not living as faithful Christians. In that case, then, then they would not... Based upon these other passages, they would not be allowed to be identified as a member of a local congregation. Now, the question of Lord's Supper, I really think that's a whole other question. Who can take the Lord's Supper? Who can't? Yeah. You know, Chris's statement almost suggests the idea of a closed communion. You know, that's the idea that, that we hear sometimes in denominational language. We, we have a closed communion. In other words, you gotta be one of us or you can't, you can't participate in the Lord's Supper. We don't practice that. I mean, I, I, I I don't know that the Bible teaches that, and that almost becomes an unmanageable police requirement. You know, you got to show your credentials before you can take the Lord's Supper. No, any, you know, we don't ask any questions on Sunday morning, every first day of the week when we observe the Lord's Supper. We don't ask any questions. Are you a faithful Christian or not? We, we pass the emblems, and we let everyone decide for themselves whether they are in a right relationship with God to participate in that. And that's really, I think, a separate question to the question of, Local church membership. All right, and I, but we, I, I think we need to make sure that we're clear on the fact, though, that uh, that our parameters and our stipulations should be limited by what the scriptures have stated. We couldn't say you can't be a member of this congregation because uh, you like a football team that we don't like, or uh, you don't have you 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 only have two kids, and we think you ought to have more than two, and so we're not going to let you in the church. Okay. John, John, John in the chat room says, I've never been completely happy with the word membership. We see them joining in reference to working with the local church, as Paul did. We also see a reference to us being members of the local body, Romans 12. Membership, however, sounds like my name is going into the directory until I no longer want to be a considered a member there. My opinion, of course, he says, however, the elders must also hold all who would join the local work to the same faithful standard to which all the other members adhere. And I think that's true. 
Uh, yeah, the membership term, I understand. Membership, John's, the uh, word scrupulous. membership per se is not a scriptural word, but members of one of another is. First so Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Yeah. Um, so uh, you make a good point, John. Uh, maybe we should shy away from that. From that, it does have a denominational ring to it. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Okay. All right. All right. Let's grab our midway break. We got three listeners, but four total questions coming up. So we, I'm seeing the chat. We got it. We got is, is our uh, broadcast we're, a little. We're flaky? off and on a little bit tonight. That's okay though. I wonder what that is. I don't know. We'll have to work on that. Okay. If you if you lose the feed, hit the refresh button and we'll be back. Maybe it's that heart bleed virus that's out there. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the servers just can't take it anymore. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get a break and uh, give you a time to uh, refresh your screen if you need to. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Procrastination is a common problem. Often we wait too long to do things that need to be done. Frequently we lack a needed sense of urgency. In all spiritual matters, we must guard against the temptation to postpone doing what is right. However, there's another side to that coin. Sometimes we are too quick to act. In certain areas, we need to slow down, move more cautiously, and be careful that we don't do things too soon. For instance, many folks must fight the temptation to grow angry in an instant. They have the proverbial hair trigger, and it takes very little to set them off. These people need to learn that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, and so they need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James 1, verses 19 and 20. Another example is that some are prone to assume the worst about other people without sufficient evidence to support their suspicions. Too often, brethren suffer long and bitter alienations that are sinful and unnecessary. We should all remember that real love is, quote, not easily provoked, and, quote, thinketh no evil. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 4. Then again, there's an overly quick tendency to presuppose that certain individuals would not be open to the gospel message. We think that they wouldn't listen even if we tried to share the truth with them, so we do nothing. The parable of the sower surely teaches us to sow the seed everywhere and let it find the true hearts that will receive it. Read Matthew 13, beginning verse 3. Finally, many parents are rushing their children into premature interest in the opposite sex. They seek opportunities for their adolescent children to develop feelings that should be reserved for a later, more mature time. This push to awaken their senses in this emotional tinderbox has left many families burned with the sad consequences. And so in all of these and other significant areas, it may be that we need to slow down a little. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight. Thank you for joining us. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, find out more about us by visiting our assemblies. Sunday mornings 9.30, Sunday evenings at 6, and Wednesdays at 7. We welcome you at any of those times. We would like to meet you. And if you're not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, likely you're not if you're listening to this program, we welcome your comments at any time, questions at collegeu.com. Maybe you wonder what we believe, what we practice. Well, send us an email or check out our website where you can find out archives of this program. You can listen to the past almost nine years of the Virtual Bible Study as well as sermons that have been recently presented to the College of Church of Christ. Check us out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Okay. Hey, uh, you all in the chat room keep giving us some feedback. If you, I think that may be our streaming provider, that, that the way that that's coming up, Jake. It makes me think that that may be in it our... It may be. 
and we pay for that. So they better be doing a better yeah, job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. So uh, moving on. Next questions come from Steve. Steve's in the chat room. Right. And he, oh. he asked some questions. Steve, I'm not going to get them all. In, I, I didn't take all that you sent me, but two of them. And maybe we'll get to the others another time. One question. He, he'd been he'd been sort of exposed to some people who have uh, some views that he hadn't understood before. And so he asked the question, is it sinful for women to cut their hair? Some of these people he's been in contact with say that they think it's sinful for women to cut their hair. And they base that on the uh, expressions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Mm -hmm. has been sort of a controversial text among brethren for a long time. And we're not. We uh, our, our purpose is not to discuss all of that, but just to, uh, to answer directly the question about can women cut their hair? First Corinthians chapter eleven verse six: For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let it let her be covered. And then skipping down to verse fourteen: Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, verse 6 wouldn't apply, because that's not talking about a woman just cutting her hair. That's talking about a woman being shaved. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't say anywhere anything about a woman uh, cutting her hair there. Yeah, and really, I think uh, the idea of a woman who, in that context who would have her head shaved, that was a disgrace. That was a treatment of a woman who was immoral, a prostitute, and they would shave her head to disgrace her. I don't think that verse is applying to the idea of a woman who gets to just gets a, what we would call a haircut. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 14, does does not nature teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame for him. If a woman have long hair, it's a glory for her. Well, long and short are relative terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and it doesn't say a woman can't ever cut her hair. Even if you even if you took this to mean that, you know, literally women are to have long hair, Long hair is a relative term, and it doesn't say you couldn't ever cut your hair. You know, some I think some folks uh, uh, have the view that a woman can never, ever, ever put a scissors to her hair in any way, shape, or form. That's not what this text is. No, no matter what your understanding of this text might be, the text is certainly not literally saying she could never cut one strand of her hair uh, to be right with God. Yeah. Uh, I think in the Corinthian uh, uh, culture, as well as in our own, men had short hair, women had long hair. I think this passage, I'm, I'm just going to say in general, I believe the passage is, is teaching that women should be easily recognizable as a woman, and men should be easily recognizable as a man. Uh, the men should observe their role, women should observe their role, and they shouldn't try to sort of blur the lines that distinguish between the two genders. And I, I, I think in all of that context, Paul was really stressing that. But I would, I do not think you could use 1 Corinthians 11 to say a woman could never cut one strand of her hair. Right. I just don't see it. I don't see, I don't see how you could read that and say, it, now it, it talks about women having long hair and it talks about men having short hair. But even that's relative terms, you know. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I don't know what more to say about that. Any other thoughts? Jack, any thoughts? Well, the only thing I could think of is why they choose not to is because it's a glory. It's for glory, a glory to her, yeah. whether it's whatever the case is. So if someone looks at it as this is glory, why would I want to eliminate that glory? 
let me have more quantitative of that, of that glory. And I've known of women who, who had a, a, a conviction against it, and uh, their hair, they never cut it and, you know, wore, up in, wore it up in a bun. And, right. And, uh, and that, I, I knew the same, uh, women the same way. That's fine. That's I, think fine. It's a, that's I think fine. it's a personal choice for women right. choose to do that. But I don't think the text says right. women don't cut your hair. Right. right. Because right. if that's the case, then they can't cut any hair. Right. They can't exactly. cut their bangs. They can't cut – they can't – they can't cut off the split ends. They, they can't, can't cut the chewing gum out of it. They can't cut the chewing gum out of it after the kids stick chewing yeah, gum in yeah. their hair. You know, and and I just I just don't see how you would read that text and come to the conclusion that it would be wrong for a woman ever ever to cut any single strand of her hair. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't say it. Mm-hmm. It it talks it, it talks about long hair. It talks about short hair on men, long hair on women. But even at that, that's relative. Now I think I would use I would use this passage to argue against a woman who would cut her hair in what we might refer to as sort of a butch look, you know. You know, she cuts it in a in a mannish style. Her haircut looks like a man's haircut. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think women ought to be doing that. But on the other hand, I don't think men ought to be going around in ponytails either because I think our culture is very much like the Corinthian culture. Men are distinguished from women because men have short hair and women have long hair. And therefore, we should not be trying to blur those distinctions. We should we – should, uh, uh, Men should look like men. Women should look like women. Steve in the chat room says he's uh, he's he knows some people who are saying it's a it's a sin to cut the hair and they're binding that. So. Yeah. Okay. I I'm not surprised. I think I think that there are people who do do that. I maybe some of our brethren do that. I, I certainly I think some of the Pentecostal type denominations mm-hmm. do that very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what else to say about it. Jack. Yeah. I I. Uh... Well, one thing I knew of New Testament Christians who believe that as of not too long ago. But the point I want to make is I agree with you, Greg, that I think it's you can you can simply go back and look. If you just do a Google search on some photographs, you can see where at one time women look like women and men look like men. Those lines are being blurred as you bring your search closer to the to the current day and age. Uh, and it's just, it's kind of confusing. You can, you can even just do an article and a newspaper article, or excuse me, a periodical and look at some ads from behind the man and the woman look exactly alike, you yeah. know, I mean, from their clothing to their hair to every aspect. So it's yeah. kind of hard to differentiate one from the other. So anyway, and, that's another side thing. Well, the moral of the story, Jack, is the way that we present ourselves does tell yes. people what we're yes, about. Sir. Yes, sir. And, uh, so we need to be cognizant of that. Okay. All right, so uh, that, that's the first part of the question. Now, the second, the second question is, is it uh, some of these same folks that, that Steve has uh, encountered suggest that it's sinful to have Bible classes? Now, I'm going to have to read between the lines here because certainly they're not talking about Bible classes in general. Maybe they're just talking about Bible classes. and I think that they're probably talking about Bible classes where you divide up into age-appropriate groupings. Okay. You know, and have... At the church building. At the church building, have Bible you know, you know, this is for the five-year-olds. This is for the third graders. This is for the high school age yeah. students. Right. And that's typically what people. Otherwise, post. we're gonna have to cease and desist with uh, the virtual Bible study. Oh, it's a this up. is a Bible study. Yes, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's what he, he is saying. Yes, at the church building. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. Well, uh, Steve, you might want to go back if you want to listen to a whole discussion of that. In our archives, June eleventh, two thousand and nine, we did a whole program on Bible classes. Okay, is it scriptural to have Bible classes? Our conclusion in that, the, the conclusion we drew was yes, because 
There is no one specified teaching arrangement in the New Testament by which the scriptures were being taught. So uh, to clarify, yes, it's scriptural. Yes, it's acceptable. No, it is not sinful. Was our conclusion? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I gave uh, I gave an example. I, I had in our, our our notes for that study, which I drew up today, Jacob. Uh, we had uh, at least four different. Uh, teaching arrangements that are that were used in the first century, and I remember us joking about this didactic discourse. Yes, I remember didactic that. discourse yeah. or a sermon. Uh, that was Acts twenty verse seven, debate Acts nineteen nine, one on one teaching situations Acts nine twenty six and following Acts eighteen twenty four and following, and a teacher student or class arrangement. And here's the one, Stephen. You might want to focus on. In Acts 20, verse 17 and 18, Paul met with a group smaller than the whole church. In that context, in Acts 20, Paul was meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus. And so here's Paul teaching a group smaller than the whole whole church, uh, which which shows, uh, I think, a student-teacher class-type arrangement. Okay. So I just don't think that you can, you can prove in the Scriptures that it's wrong or sinful, and I think you can even suggest that we see a variety of different teaching arrangements used. Therefore, no one is exclusively the pattern that we must follow. Steve's a, Steve is angling for some extra credit in the chat room tonight because he says he remembers that uh, that program from from almost five years ago. Man, well, well he's go, a faithful Steven. listener. Yes, thank he's, you, Steve. He's a faithful listener. But again, for for those others of you who are listening and you want to go back, if that's a, a subject you'd like to review more thoroughly, look in our archives. Up at the top of our webpage uh, under the virtual Bible study, look for WMA Program Archives. And that WMA, by the way, stands for Windows Media Audio. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then then scroll down because they are in reverse order. The most recent programs are at the top and the, and the oldest programs are at the bottom. And somewhere uh, along in there about midway, June 11th, 2009, you'll find a program on Bible classes. Are and if you want to look, if you want a description of what each program was about, you can check the MP3 archives there. And not all of them are there with the MP3. We're missing about a year or six months or so. But other than that, you can get a description of what the, each program was about. Yeah, but the but the, the archive that is complete is that one that says WMA uh, program archive. The A stands for all. That's They're uh, all there. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, we got two questions left. Maybe we should take Let's our take last break, break yep. and then we'll run to the top of the hour with a couple of other questions. Next question is, what should we use to define worship? Do you have to have all five acts of worship? Can you omit some and it still be called worship? And this is a question that's been posed uh, to me by Anthony in the chat room as well. I think this is probably the hardest question we've got tonight. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that one. And then from Deborah, Paul persecuted the way. What is the way? And how do we understand that? We'll talk about that. That's going to be a little bit of a a detailed discussion as well. So we're going to go to the top of the hour after this. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues after these messages. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem much more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach the truth? Does it seem the sermons you are hearing each week could have easily been given at a PTA meeting or a social club? 
Do you remember when sin was called sin, and at the end of the sermon you knew by book, chapter, and verse what the preacher was talking about and why? The Kaju Church is still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. They invite you to investigate for yourself. Come and see. Visit the Kaju Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A record number of people throughout the United States have expressed a lack of trust in clergy members, according to a new Gallup poll. When asked to rate the honesty and ethics of clergy members, only 47% ranked them positively. However, clergy members performed significantly better than newspaper and television reporters who garnered the trust of just 21 and 20% of the nation, respectively. And the worst, of course, was members of Congress who earned high ratings for honesty and ethics from only 8% of Americans. Nurses ranked the highest with 82% of the nation praising their ethics. That information is via the Washington Times. The Word of God says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight thanking you for joining us as we talk about various listener questions. Again, we'll take your questions anytime. Questions at collegeview.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We won't respond to you 24-7, but we'll take your questions or for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All right. So the next question comes to us from Bob. Uh, who ask, um, would uh, be interested, uh, he says, I would be interested in what should be used to define worship. One would not disagree that if the things done, five acts of worship are done, that would be worship. But could some or all of those five acts of worship be omitted and the event still called worship? Mm-hmm. Uh, does worship only happen on Sunday or can it be at other times? For example, folks have told me that Bible study is worship. Does that mean that if we're studying the Bible in our homes, we're worshiping in our homes? They went on to say that not all of the elements, the five acts of worship, are required for a period of time to be defined as worship. One or more could be omitted and the event could still be considered worship. They used the Wednesday night Bible study as an example of worship that is that incorporated only some of the five acts of worship. You know, we talk about the five acts of worship, mm-hmm. uh, singing, Praying, preaching, the Lord's Supper, and giving. Mm-hmm. You know, those, you know, we, we, those are the ones we have sort of traditionally, but we gotta be careful because that's sort of our traditional label that we put on the five acts of worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some are taking the position that all five acts of worship have to be there before it is a worship service. Others, as Bob is suggesting, say, well, you can omit some of those five acts and it still be a period of worship. Which is it? Okay. It's going to be a good question. Uh, yeah. Anthony says, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only things we must do on the first day are collection and Lord's Supper. Yeah, there is. There's no doubt that on the first day of the week, uh, there is the assembly of the saints that includes the partaking of the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul said in verse 20, and I really think he begins a context there that, that runs on for a long time, but he says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, this is kind of interesting. He's rebuking them. He's basically saying you should be coming together to eat the Lord's Supper, but you're not. Right. And so he says that on the, on the first day of the week, there is to be this assembly for the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, now, they, they weren't doing it, but we should. Then I think he's still in the same context. Way over in chapter 14, verse 23, he says, Therefore, 
if therefore the whole church be come together into one place. And it's, I think it's in that same context of coming together for eating of the Lord's Supper. So that is a clearly defined worship situation. But that's not really the question that Bob is asking. He's asking, does it, do you have to do all five acts, including taking the Lord's Supper, for it to be a worship? Well, Anthony says the other things we have come, I'm afraid to insist, must happen on Sunday for the service to be worship. I'm not sure that's a biblical view. All right. Um, um, certainly there, there is, the, in other words, some people take the view that every, our whole life is worship to God. In fact, there's a book been written by a fellow by the name of Mike Root called Unbroken Bread, which has sort of circulated some and some really taken a liking to it. And here's what he says. He says, worship is a life given in obedience to God. It is not when or where. It's not a when or where proposition, but a what. It's what we are. You can't go to it or leave it, dress for it or from it. You can't start it or stop it. It doesn't open and close with prayer. And it doesn't have a human leader or a special day. So this guy, Mike Root, in this book, Unbroken Bread, is saying all of life is worship. Everything you do is worship to God. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's right either. Okay. Uh, And I think we could go to some examples from the scriptures. Uh, Go all the way back to Genesis 22. You remember when Abraham was told to take Isaac up on the mountain and offer him as a Mm -hmm. sacrifice? Abraham told his servants that he and Isaac would, quote, go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Yeah. They weren't worshiping yet. They said, we're going to go up there and worship. Yeah. Which would suggest that worship is a, a conscious act of devotion to God. Yeah. It's, it's not just something you do. No, I'm, I'm riding my bicycle, and this, and in doing this, I worship God. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, it has to be a determined I'm, thing. I'm cleaning out my chicken pen, Jack. Right, and, right. Well, maybe not. Right. Uh, another example, remember when King David's son, born to Bathsheba, had died? It says he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, Second Samuel 12, verse 20. In other words, there was a going to worship. There, were, there was a conscious determination to worship and then to go back home. Okay. And so it is. It is. There is a, a starting and stopping point, and there is a when and where we worship. Well, so I would just argue that all of life is not necessarily worship, but it, it is a conscious, a conscious act of honoring and glorifying God. Well, Chris in the U.K. is along the same lines. He says worship is homage paid or rendered to God, which it is sinful or idolatry to render to any created being. He references Exodus 34:14 and Isaiah 2, verse 8. Such worship was refused by Peter, Acts 10, verses 25 and 26, and by an angel in Revelation 22, 8 and 9. So he says, uh, and he, that, I think that's cited from Easton's Bible Dictionary. He says, technically you can worship without all five. Are you really going to say it's not worship a worship meeting if the collection bag is not passed around, for example? But can you imagine a worship meeting without one of them? I guess it's like baking a cake can be done without sugar, but don't ask me to eat it. As to Sunday, I'll let you debate the meaning of Romans 14, 5, and 6. They have a bag when they pass around the collection over there. Yeah. That, that's something new. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it goes to the definition of worship itself, which is homage and devotion directed toward God. Or towards uh, uh, towards something. Yeah, and so, you know, it, well, scriptural worship would be directed toward God, right? And right, so, right, right. Uh, so let's say, Jack, this question comes up from time to time. 
Can we take the songbook? Here are these spiritual songs that we sing. Can we take it home? And at home, could we play a piano with it as we sing these same songs? Or could we play a guitar with it as we sing these same songs? Well, my question has always been, well, why are you singing the songs? Are you singing the songs as an act of devotion to God? If so, then do it the way he said. Do it with a cappella, vocal music. Mm-hmm. If it's just for entertainment, then don't use those songs because those songs we have set aside as special for the purpose of praising and worshiping God. Right, right. And so uh, my answer to the question of can we use instrumental music with these songs at home is, well, if your purpose is to is to worship God or to honor him or glorify him in the process, then no, because you ought to do that the way he said to do it. And then the flip side is, and if you're just, do, but on the other hand, if you're just wanting to entertain yourself, then don't use those special songs just to entertain yourself. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that yeah, I can I can do things that are acts of devotion toward God, intended to honor and glorify Him at times other than just when we've come together on Sunday, and it includes all five acts of worship. That's certainly worship. I don't think that's the only time that I worship. All right. Well, we're going to get, they're trying to, they're trying to complicate it a little bit in the chat room. Steve says uh, not to make the conversation more complicated, but I've heard many say that the Lord's Supper is why we meet, but this makes everything else not as important, such as preaching God's word. They say this is an act that we do on the first day. So therefore we get together for this purpose of the Lord's Supper, but giving is the same. So I don't understand this. Yeah, Anthony says, I've heard that too, and that's taken from verses yep. like Acts 20, verse 17. The implication is that the Lord's Supper is why they came together. I actually think Acts 20, verse 7 is, is a a grammatical construction uh, in which one aspect of their assembly was used to to sort of identify the uh, the whole, sort of sort of the, the figure of speech of metonymy. They came together on the first on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. It says in Acts twenty verse seven. Uh, I, I think that that's just a part used to represent the whole. It's a figure yeah. of speech. I, I don't think that that is the the sole reason that they came or the principal reason why they came. They spent a lot more time in that meeting listening to Paul preach, and he preached yeah. all the way till midnight. Yeah. And so. I don't think, you know, I, I've, I'm like Anthony. I've heard people use that passage to say that's why Christians come together on the first day of the yep. week is to observe the Lord's Supper. I, I've uh, heard the same from First uh, Corinthians 11, verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then the uh, the conclusion is made that they should have been coming together to eat the Lord's Supper, that being their purpose. But uh, maybe a stretch there. Okay. Uh, John in the chat room, not to complicate the matter even further, but think about us singing in the home. If singing praises to God is worshiping God, then we would be worshiping when singing praises in a member's home. I believe worship involves actions and attitudes whereby we offer up praise and adoration to God. This is what the members of the local congregation does every time they assemble together, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday or every night uh, of a gospel meeting. I, I would agree with that, John. I think that's I think that's. You know, there are some things that I do that are not intended as worship to God. I'm out mowing my grass. I'm not doing that as an act of worship to God. But sometimes I do things in my home, either individually or in conjunction with others in my home, that are intended to be an act of homage and devotion to God, to glorify and praise him. But it doesn't have to include all five acts. And I don't think it has to include all five acts. All right. Well, 
I don't know if that answers the question. Maybe the water is not as muddy as it was, but it could have been. We may have hit the bottom and stirred up a little bit of mud there, but yeah, well, yeah. we'll see. I'm not sure that's. A, I'm not sure that our answer is fully satisfactory there, but all right. Best, that's right now. That's best I can do on that. All right, that's all. We're, we're, that's all. We'll stop stirring if we are stirring up the mud. Uh, Kevin in the chat room says he's getting a few stalls on the video feed. I think our video streaming provider is probably the problem there. I'm gonna have to get with them on that. Well. Sorry, and, and, sorry to our viewers who are experiencing that problem. And he made it home while he was listening to the virtual Bible study without any sudden urges to drive in off the cliff. So that's good. Um, and uh, we've got one more question and a few minutes to get it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, okay, that's all right. So we're ready for that. Final question is is maybe the, the most unusual one, and I really don't know how to answer this directly. Uh, i got a, a few observations. Uh, this is from Deborah. And she says, uh, I'm puzzled over Acts 22, verse 4. And she gives four different translations here. The American Standard Version says, Paul is the speaker. He says, I persecuted this way unto death. English Standard, I persecuted this way to the death. King James, I persecuted this way unto the death. New, America, New King James, I persecuted this way to the death. She says, this is only... One example that I have noticed in my readings, I usually ch- uh, choose the King James, but I've been using English Standard for my morning readings. I wonder, she says, is this where the way church has sprung from? Uh, I would like to know at what point the word way was changed from a direction, which is an adverb, to a proper noun. I don't know about that. I don't know about the grammar of that. I, I never was a great English student. I wasn't here. Uh, but I don't think that that is a change. I think when it, the, the word, I think it's definitely, a, you want to know when it was done, it was done all the way back in the first century because that's the way Paul was using that when he says, I persecuted this way unto the death. Well, that's a, that's, that's a noun. That's a proper noun. It's not being used as an adverb there. I persecuted this way to the death, the English Standard Version says. So, you know, who started using it as a proper noun? Paul did because, Again, I'm I'm not a great English grammar student, but I understand that in that grammatical expression, way is a proper noun. Yeah. And so he started doing that. Now, is that where a current religious movement called the way came from? I my guess is that probably they probably snatched that. They probably This is a religious movement though? Yeah. I didn't I, know I, about I, it. I looked it up uh on the internet and there are a, a lot of Large urban centers have various groups meeting in them that that identify themselves as the way. Uh, here's one from I just printed off one of these, and I don't know where I got. I don't know the community where this was. Okay. Anyway, this is the Way Community Church, and, and here's what their website said: If you're new to new to if you're new or thinking about visiting the Way. You're probably wondering what our church is like. Uh, we believe church is a fellowship of people, not a building or place. Our church is made up of real people just like you. We have messy mm-hmm. lives. Some of us have broken homes, broken bodies, broken spirits. We don't all. We don't have all the answers. The good news is that we know someone who does, Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe there's where they get the way. Maybe. Uh, he's the answer to all of our big questions. We've been radically transformed by Jesus' love. We're growing together. Each week we meet to celebrate what he has done in our lives and to encourage one another. Mm-hmm. Sunday mornings we meet together for a worship service. We're into growth, not glamour, so don't worry about what to wear, although you might raise a few eyebrows if you showed up in your pajamas. 
We spend an expended, an extended time worshiping God with contemporary energetic music. After we wrap up the worship, one of our pastors will open the Bible and give us some wisdom to help us navigate life. Mm. Sounds like a real sort of, uh, uh, I don't even know the expression to use here, Jacob. It, 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 there's certainly one of, the, it's, a, it's a modern contemporary. A community kind of a church approach. Yeah. Uh, but there are, they, you find some identified as the way in almost all of these big, uh, urban, mm. uh, centers. So I don't know. I don't know where they got the name, but uh, th- this sounds to me like one of those outfits sort of – and they, most of them identify themselves as non-denominational, but it sounds like come as you are, uh, uh, both not only as you are dressed, but also come as you are. We don't expect you to make any changes. We just We just have open arms. We accept anybody and everybody. Uh, maybe reading through the li- through, yeah. uh, between the lines there, but it seems to maybe yeah. – you, uh, you're saying maybe the way is way out there. I think so. Okay. Uh, There's a way church located in the Woodlands, Texas. Yeah. I saw that one, John. I saw that one on the Internet, okay. by the way. Uh, we use the word way as a noun all the time. This is the way to Nashville. I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think that's a grammatical change that someone started using the word way as a proper noun. I think it's always been a proper noun. Good questions tonight, and hopefully uh, you, the answers uh, that we've given have uh, been satisfactory and according with God's word. Uh, we need more questions. Yeah, we are always uh, uh, compiling your questions, and from time to time we have a session like we've had tonight, and we like it. We so do. send us send us your questions. Jack, thanks for coming tonight. Appreciate your, your help. Thank you. And, uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. And we hope that you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word, and we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.